Blog Talk Radio. Philadelphia, 
our executive producer, Frank Carroll, is at the controls. We hope you all had a wonderful, wonderful Memorial Day weekend, but more importantly, a safe weekend with not too much drinking. Frank? Yeah, Don, uh, tonight's program is dedicated. Each and every one of our programs are dedicated either before or after the, the show to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces. Tonight's program is dedicated to the real reason for Memorial Day, for those Gold Star families who lost that memory, a family member uh, during the World Wars or sometime during the Korean or Vietnam conflict. These people have given the given these ultimate sacrifice that we can never, ever repay. And remember, ladies and gentlemen, freedom is not free. And these people have died to try to help us keep this country as free and, and our living as easy as possible. So tonight, we dedicate this program to those who have come before us, those who will come after us, and to the Gold Stars family who have lost their member. Thank you very much, Amen. Frank. Obviously, a very sincere time uh, around Memorial Day weekend. A lot of people... Uh, Look at it as a vacation, and it is a vacation, but it's a very, very important day in the lives of the United States of America. Let's start off uh, tonight's program on the baseball front. We're passing the quarter pole right now. We really haven't spent a lot of time talking about baseball on the show because so many other things have been going on in the meantime. But, Roy, let's start off in the American League East. Uh, Tampa Bay got off to the great start, still playing extremely well. Baltimore, the surprise of the American League East, no question about it, in second place. The Yankees, after their win last night out of Seattle, are slowly climbing up. They're right there in third. But some of your observations about the American League East to start with. Yeah, you know, look, it's, it's obviously, uh, once again, uh, it has been for quite some time now, really, uh, the best division in baseball. And, uh the best just seems to get better. I mean, I think the Yankees are better now than they were a year ago, two years ago. And yet uh, they're they're just, you know, doing everything they can to keep pace with Tampa, which is uh, not unexpected, but uh, they're doing everything they can just to keep pace with Baltimore, which I think is a little bit unexpected. Um, You know, if you paid attention to Baltimore uh, a year ago, you could see that this was a team on the rise, that they were coming. Um, had some nice pitching uh, that, uh, you know, and they certainly had some bats that, uh, uh, you know, you had to respect. Um, but I don't think every, I don't think anyone really expected them to, to rise as quickly and be as strong as they are. You know, if it weren't for the, the, the Rays and the incredible start that they got off to, uh, the Orioles would be the talk of baseball right now. I mean, they would be, just, you know, uh, probably more so than the Rays. Um I mean, you really have to be a bit of a baseball diehard to really uh, – I mean, everybody knows that the Rays are playing well, but they don't get talked about as much as uh, other teams do uh, just because of the, you know, the market they're in. Um, they get the, a bit of the short shrift there. But at the end of the day, um, you, you know, Baltimore, I, I think, would have, would have certainly been the darling of, uh, of baseball uh, fans and, and analysts everywhere because – uh, they're just playing incredibly well. Now, today was a tough day for them. They uh, gave up a lot of runs, a lot of hits. Um, couldn't seem to get Josh Naylor out, but, um, you know, they're not the first people to struggle with that. But uh, at the end of the day, um, they are just an incredible uh, team that's really, really, uh, you know, uh, caught fire early on this year and uh, and making it very interesting in an AL East that is, uh, as, as always, or seems to always be, uh, exceptionally good. I mean, when when you've got Boston at the bottom, um, you know, two games over 500 uh, and nine and a half games out of first, 
Uh, that tells you how good, uh, just how good that uh, that division is. Um, Toronto is another team that I think probably underachieving at this point, not playing at the level they can. But any one of those teams could still uh, win that division. And uh, boy, won't surprise me at all if we see three three teams in that division in the playoffs. Roy, as we look down the line, uh, Roger, uh, go over to the Central. Uh, really not too much to talk about in the Central Division. It's sort of a, a combination of teams that win and lose, win and lose. Minnesota's holding one at the top at the moment. Uh, Detroit, uh, surprisingly, is in second spot. Uh, but there's not really any dominant team in the Central Division that you're afraid to play. No, no, there isn't. And uh, when we get to the uh, uh, the uh, NL East, uh, there's some interesting uh, – uh, information that is developed that I didn't uh, even realize. So I'll wait on that. But you're right. The uh, yeah, you know, there's there's several divisions in baseball that are strong, and uh, the American League East, obviously, and uh, the uh, the West, the NL West, uh, you know, should be and uh, and is to an extent. But uh, you know, it's been interesting. As you said, Don, we're at the uh, quarter pole. And it's been very interesting about the performers and non-performers throughout the, the major leagues, starting with Trey Turner. Roy, we can go to the uh, American League West, where there's a really a lot, a lot of interest. Uh, really surprised Bochy. What a job he's done in Texas. Uh, they're in first place at the moment. Uh, Houston is struggling a little bit under Dusty. Uh, they haven't come out of the gate real strong. Los Angeles has two of the best players in the major leagues, two of the best players in the American League, but they just can't consistently win. Yeah, you're right. And uh, look, you know, I thought for a long time, I like what Texas has been doing. Not afraid to spend money. Uh, you know, they, they built up the middle, middle with Marcus Semien and then Corey Seager. Uh, they've got a really nice catcher. If you don't pay much attention to the game, you don't know who Jonah Heim is, but if you do, you do. And, uh, you know, they get, look, the outfield it can be, it's, it could be one of the best in baseball, potentially. Um, Adelise Garcia, another guy that's uh, given up by the, by the Cardinals. Boy, that's a whole other story is some of the great players that the Cardinals have given up who have turned into stars around baseball. Adelise Garcia is certainly one of them in Texas. Randy Rosarina is another one uh, in Tampa Bay. But, yeah, the West is um, a very interesting uh, division there. I mean, look, I think Houston is going to be fine going ahead. I mean, the pitching is always strong. It's, it's, they got more pitching, it seems, than anybody else. Uh, very deep in the starting rotation there. Um, and uh, they're really just now getting Jose Altuve back. Uh, Jeremy Pena hasn't played at the level I think they expected of him. Um, so, you know, they're, they're, they've been scuffling just a, a little bit for them. Uh, not, not a, you know, not a whole lot. I mean, they are 10 games over 500. But Texas has been a little bit better. And, and you know what? L.A. is just L.A. It just seems like forever. Uh, yeah, they've had, look, they've had arguably the best player in baseball for, for a long time. Now they've got two of the three best players in baseball, and they still can't seem to, uh, to to get over the hump. I mean, yeah, they're over 500, but they're really a kind of a 500 ball club, and uh, and it just, just makes you wonder what, what's happening there. And, you know, I, I think there's one disappointing team in that in that division, and that's Seattle. That, look, that division had the potential. Uh, with the exception of Oakland, obviously, which I, I don't think Oakland knows what it's doing. But, um, but, but you know, that, that division had the potential to be just as strong uh, as the AL East. And, and I think at the end of the day, it, it still could be. Um, Seattle is a team you got to watch for. They've got a lot of good young talent there, uh, some good young pitching. 
if the if the if the bullpen can get a little bit stronger, if they can make a move there, um, I, I think that I think you'll see a couple of teams obviously uh, go deep into the playoffs in that group too. So uh, like like that uh, like that division a lot. Uh, very intriguing division, especially now that Texas is finally playing up to the to the abilities that it should be playing up to. Look, I like as I said at the beginning. Uh, I like what they've done, you know, personnel-wise, but I still think maybe the best move that they've made is getting Bruce Boshi. I mean, that's, uh, there's certain guys who, are just, who just seem to have a knack for uh, making turning teams into winners, um, no matter what the talent level is, and Bruce Boshi's one of them. Roger, we're going to get to your bailiwick. Uh, the Philadelphia Phillies lost 2 nothing last night in a very unusual game. Uh, watch that one as well as the Seattle Yankee game. Seattle, just a terrible team in the American League West. Uh, it was awful. But anyway, let's get to the National League East because the Philadelphia Phillies are really struggling. They're leading one nothing right now in, in the third inning. Uh, a lot of complaints last night. Harper sat out in a game that they were only behind one to nothing and didn't get an opportunity to play. But I know you've been waiting for the Phils, Roger, so the National League East, go to it. Well, I just think the Braves are the elite in the NL East. And uh, I did watch that game last night uh, on uh, TBS, and I was really surprised to hear that the, I think in Major League Baseball, the Mets have the oldest uh, average age in, in baseball. And with the money they spent, I guess it shows that their uh, minor league system uh, isn't that good right now. Sosa just hit the home run that uh, went over the uh, home run line on the left field uh, stands uh, where they have that fence at the uh, city field. So, but last night, uh, they, what is it? Sager, uh, the uh, pitcher for the Mets uh, was from Japan was just outstanding. And you know, the thing I can't Start figure out, nine. out is, huh? He struck out nine last night. Oh, didn't walk did. anybody. Yeah, he looked fantastic, and he had his, a few ups and downs coming along. But if you look at the Japanese players that have come here, when we were all young, they always felt the Japanese players were too small to play here. Well, that's not true anymore. And I don't understand why more players aren't recruited uh, from uh, Japan. I really don't, because everyone that I've seen produces. Well, well, I'll tell you why. Before we uh, leave the East, uh, Roger, Atlanta, you're uh, in Atlanta and have been for the last six or seven years. Atlanta is uh, picking up where they left off. Looks like they're going to roll right back to another National League championship. Well, they are, Don, and uh, they have the uh, the pitching. Uh, they're young. Uh, uh, the, what we were worried about, what happens at shortstop with uh, the loss of Dansby Swanson. What do they have? A see uh, who uh, is young and uh, coming in and just did a great job. They are by far, in my opinion, the best team in the NFL East and one of the best in baseball. We go back to you, Roy, uh, in the Central. Pittsburgh, again, uh, like Baltimore, a little bit of a surprise, not playing as well as Baltimore is, but at the same time, they're still making their uh, presence felt in the Central Division, Milwaukee on top. But that, again, is not a dominant division, and yet uh, you're a Chicago man, and every time they start to get a little streak going, they turn around and go the other way. Yeah, it has kind of been that way, although they're coming up with, you know, they've had, look, they had a nice uh, series against uh, Tampa Bay, won the first two, allowed only about eight hits in the whole first two games, and then today was a 
uh, a nail-biter right down to the end and uh, back and forth a little bit. And uh, so the, I think the Cubs are starting to play a little bit better baseball. But I don't think anybody really fears anyone in the, in the NL Central right now. Uh, I don't think anybody thinks Pittsburgh is going to be there at the end of the day. I think most people believe that it's going to be Milwaukee and, uh, and, and St. Louis will at some point kind of catch fire. But, uh, look, I, St. Louis has done some interesting things, too. You know, they had Jordan Walker up to start the year, um, the celebrated rookie, and uh, who certainly looked like he was ready to play uh, regularly at this level. And next thing you know, he's down in the minor leagues. And, um, you know, they've just had a lot of issues. I mean, they, you know, they took uh, the catching duties away from uh, Wilson Contreras, who they, they uh, spent a lot of money to, to take away from Chicago. Um, and then they gave it back to him. So uh, there's a lot of things going on in St. Louis that are very – uh, very interesting. It's like it's just not sure if anybody knows who's really running the show there, and you know what they're what they're trying to achieve. But um, I, I think eventually they'll they'll be a team. But that's a division for the taking. Uh, anybody and anybody could take it. I mean, if Pittsburgh can figure out a way to kind of get back on on beam, they're a little bit below 500 over the last 20 or so. Um, you know, I, I think anybody could have that division. But again, I come, think come playoff time, unless somebody makes some big moves. Um, I don't. I don't think anybody's going to really fear anyone in that division. So it's it's clearly the weakest division in uh, in baseball, and it's kind of been that way for a while now, and it, uh, it continues this year, especially when you got the Cardinals in last place. Yeah, the real surprise, the Cardinals. They've always been a, a dominant team, always been right there uh, throughout the course of the season, and this year just uh, mired somewhere uh, close to the bottom right now, in the bottom. Roger, we go to the West and. <laughs> I don't know what to say. The Dodgers just keep winning and winning and winning. Uh, Dave's done a great job out there. Uh, San Diego spends millions of dollars in the offseason every year. Wanted to get judged for <laughs> with an unbelievable price. He finally went back to the Yankees. God bless him. But uh, who? How can how can you figure out the West? Well, uh, just to get back to Roy uh, for a minute, uh, I think you were going to say something about the explanation on Japanese ballplayers recruiting, Roy. Yeah, I was. And, and the issue there is, is pretty simple. It's, it, it has to do with the fastball um, for both pitchers and, 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 and hitters, really. Um, the hitters are not accustomed to the, the average speed of the fastball in Japan is about three miles per hour less than what it is here in, in the United States. Uh, right now, you don't, you just don't find guys throwing 96, 98 consistently. And now, you know, remember when we, when we were just, when we marveled at Aroldis Chapman throwing 100 miles an hour? Well, yes. now you got five or six or eight guys in the major leagues throwing 100 miles an hour. It, it's not all that unusual anymore. It's still a bit of a marvel, but it's not that unusual. Um, not every team's got one, but there's, you know, there's five or six guys scattered out there throughout baseball. And what, what, what happens with the hitters from Japan is that they struggle primarily to, to keep pace with the fastball. Um, so that's number one. Number two, it's the same thing. You know, if hitters can adjust easily to 92 miles an hour, um, and that's what you're getting from Japanese pitchers, well, that's going to be easy for hitters to adjust to. And so those mistakes can really be magnified into big problems uh, for pitchers, if they can't, if they don't have an out pitch, um, I mean, what you've seen Shohei Otani do uh, is revolutionize the game. He's come up with this pitch called the sweeper, uh, which to me is like a kind of it's kind of a, just a, 
a longer, less, um, more exaggerated slider, uh, kind of sweeps across the plate um, as opposed to, you know, bending off sharply uh, down and in or down and away if you're a right-handed batter. Um, and, and he's had to do that because, you know, he doesn't necessarily throw 98 miles an hour. Um, so he's come up with that pitch. and uh, But a lot of other pitchers, you know, aren't capable of doing that. If they can be, if they can come up with a specific pitch, uh, it's going to work out for him. And I think if you look back at the history of Japanese pitchers, um, you know, from Hideo Nomo on, uh, those guys always had the, the ones who we know, the names we know, the, play, the pitchers who have been successful, um, they had a special pitch. They had something a little bit different. Um, it wasn't just a, you know, fastball, slider, curveball, change-up mix. They had something a little bit different that, uh, uh, that pitchers, that hitters had a hard time adjusting to. And the, the hitters, um, you know, Hideki Matsui comes to mind, obviously. Uh, Seiya Suzuki with the Cubs right now, who's hitting very well, um, you know, he, he, he chalks everything up to the fact that he spent an entire offseason this past year grow, developing more strength so that he could catch up to the fastball here in Major League Baseball. And uh, after hitting, you know, about 250 a year ago without a lot of power, uh, he's put on some weight, put on some, some added some muscle, and, uh, and tried to adjust to the, to the speed of the game here. So it's really the speed of the game more than anything. Uh, the speed of that fastball on both sides, both ends, that uh, is the difference maker, and that's why very that's why only a handful of the Japanese players make it here, and uh, and can can really thrive uh, at a, at a very high level. Again, we've seen a lot of a lot of those guys come through, um, but uh, and I think more and more you're gonna as they figure this out, you'll see those players. Uh, uh, make it more, but uh, but up till now, that's been, that's been the issue, guys. Roger, we saw that last night in the Mets game because uh, what we saw was uh, a football, uh, Elroy face football. They uh, you know they you call it the ghost pitch. They can call it anything they want, but it's really it's a relative. It's a it's a football, and they they showed enough of it last night in slow motion, and they showed his grip on the ball and everything else going along with it. And he averaged average walking seven a game because. His pitches are mostly out of the strike zone. Phillies didn't take advantage of that last night and uh, didn't get one walk. Here's a pitcher that yeah. averages seven walks a game, and they don't get one walk. And 90% of the balls that they struck out on weren't even close to the strike zone. So, uh, yeah. yes, Roy's right. It's a, it's a trick pitch, but it's really nothing more than Elroy faces football. That's all. Well, they call it, what, the ghost pitch, right? They call it ghost and- pitch. Ghost pitch, yeah. Because it's like the sweeper. They can call all those pitches anything they want to, but they're all the same. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the uh, Mets just uh, took a 2-1 lead because uh, Nola uh, walked Vogelbach, and then uh, there was a home run. But, you know, when you were talking about the Dodgers, uh, they may be good on the field, but I'll tell you, they have created a PR nightmare. And I mean, the it is just uh, just the beginning, I think, of a real problem uh, for them, uh, where they basically uh, were very uh, came out with a lot of comedy and critical of the Catholic Church, and and with the uh, Catholic population in L.A. in the L.A. region, and especially uh, with um, you know the Latino community. Uh, I'll tell you, I have no idea what goes through some of these companies and now the Dodgers, uh, what goes through their thought process. 
I mean, sheer stupidity. Target, Budweiser, and now the Dodgers. It makes no sense to me. Well, but, you uh, could also you know, put Chick-fil-A on there, too, because they just did it uh, today or yesterday. Uh, they're challenging uh, their market as well. And the other thing is that uh, with suggestive people haven't had a chance to read uh, Richie Allen's book. Richie, of course, played for the Dodgers for two years. And a big part, uh, not only of his biography, which is a separate book, but a young fellow from Villanova or law school wrote a very, very uh, incisive book on Dick Allen and his uh, procedures through Major League Baseball. And, of course, as you know, Roger, this weekend, if things turn around and Roy the same way, uh, a guy that was running out of town on a rail in Philadelphia, and the biggest weekend for them this weekend is having a, a Dick Allen bobblehead doll. Roy, you explain <laughs> it to me. I'll tell you what, um, Dick Allen was uh, obviously a very controversial player in his day. Um, played for a lot of teams, Dodgers, White Sox, Phillies. Uh, he got bounced around a lot. Um, a very disgruntled player. Uh, had a reason to be disgruntled, I think. Um, maybe highly understood, misunderstood uh, as a player. Um, I'd love to read that. Um, I'd love to read that uh, uh, that biography because I have a my, my my greatest memory of of Dick Allen. A couple of them actually. I, mean, I remember when he he wrote "Boo" in front of him on, uh, in the right. dirt in Philadelphia. I remember when he was with the White Sox. Um, you know, he, he was one of the first guys to start wearing a, you know, a, a, actually a batting helmet in the field because he was afraid people were going to throw batteries and soda pop at him. And you know, uh, they explained that in the book, and he actually started that in the minor leagues. Uh, people didn't no, remember go. that he did. Uh, he wore the helmet in the minor leagues. The reason he wore the helmet was that he felt that taking his cap off and putting it in his pocket or even on the base got crushed, and he didn't like to wear a hat, a, a, a baseball cap that was crushed. So he always yeah. wore the helmet over the top of the baseball hat so that, therefore, it wouldn't be crushed. It would always look fresh and new. That was his explanation, other than what happened later on, as this book really details at great length and also talks a great deal about his two years with the Los Angeles Dodgers and exactly what Roy or what uh, Roger is talking about. He talks about their PR department from the president and owner right on down when O'Malley's owned the team and how they went about it and Camp Panis and all that, which I – a lot of it I had not read before. So I, I'd recommend it to anybody if you have a chance to read it. It's Dick Allen, and it's a, it's a terrific, terrific book. But anyway, Roy, well, that's going to conclude our first half hour. A lot of baseball, but thank you very, very much. Always a pleasure. Pleasure's Roy, mine, guys. Have a great always, week. always. Thanks, guys. Hey, Same hey, to you. Don, have a great week. Take care now. Don, Steve, before we go any further, I just wanted to say, since you brought up uh, Dick Allen, um, I want to talk to Dan because uh, he's friends with uh, Dick Allen's son, and uh, we can have him on uh, to give some insight. I've met him uh, because he was at the sports writers, and the reason uh, for the bobblehead is that uh, uh, Dick is, uh, you know, now uh, had his number retired and uh, is the, in the Phillies' uh, Wall of Fame, and of course the Phillies have been really putting uh, a lot of emphasis on him going into uh, Cooperstown, and he should be a long time ago. Well, unfortunately, that uh, didn't happen the last time you missed by one vote, and uh, we'll get to that as I said. Maybe we'll get the author of the book on, because I'll tell you, it's a terrific capitulation of uh, Richie's career all the way from 
his days in high school all the way through till he uh, finally retired. But anyway, let's get back to Steve Kinsella right now, a baseball historian. And if anybody knows about baseball, it's Dick Allen. First of all, Steve, welcome back to the program and some of your thoughts. Uh, Dick Allen was great, you know, just going, you know, he's not part of my generation, you know, being a 53-year-old male, I didn't see him too much, and the limited time that I did know about him, it was later in his career, you know, like, I would get his baseball card and not be too excited about it, (laughs) but, you know, as you get older and you start reading more, you know, and you see, you know, I believe he was the uh, MVP with the White Sox, and uh, was an all-star game, I think, six or seven times, and uh, you know, you, you you think of guys from that era that starred in both the American League and National League. You know, you got Frank Robinson, who everybody can point to immediately, but then you got Dick Allen right up there, who was successful in both leagues. Uh, a lot of young people wouldn't know what that means these days. You know, to be to be a star in each league, but when you didn't have free agency and you didn't have a lot of exposure and ability to move, not a lot not a lot of guys had a chance to jump from one league to the other. Um, in in mid career and had that kind of success. Well, that was hey, the Steve. unfortunate part about it because it was really the entire, almost the entire career of Dick Allen. Uh, free agency was not a uh, was not a possibility. They do a tremendous job of detailing all the factors involved in what happened with Dick and his, his uh, uh, negotiations and all the the trading. In fact, as you mentioned, uh, he was traded from the Dodgers by Al Campanis. So when he got to the White Sox, became the most valuable player that year and. Uh, you know, he just did so many great things. Not to be in the Hall of Fame is really a shame. But uh, let's get back, Steve, to the American League East because we talked a little bit about it in the first half hour. The Baltimore Orioles right now, I guess, have to be as big a surprise as anyone and, and a welcome surprise to Baltimoreans because, you know, they're baseball people. Yeah, Baltimore, you know, it, it's hard to buy into them because we don't know them. You know, the names on the back of the uniform. Uh, what we go through down here in Tampa Bay really aren't that well known. But, you know, one of the things I was doing over the winter was writing up a list of big gambles. You know, uh, Tampa Bay not going out and getting a left-handed power bat or adding anything really to the offense was a big gamble. Uh, the Dodgers not spending big in free agency, arguably the best, free, the, you know, the most expensive free agent they got was Noah Syndergaard, who's been a shell of himself. Um, and, you know, they're still in first place in the National League West, even though Justin Turner is playing in uh, Los Angeles and Trey Turner is no longer playing. He's over in Philadelphia. Not then, very you know, well Bal- either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you got the Baltimore Orioles, um, who also took on a big gamble. And their big gamble was not really adding a lot to the pitching staff. We see the kids coming up on the offensive side of the ball. We see the Cedric Mullins and the uh, Anthony Santanders, you know, grabbing hold of being everyday players, you know, in the last couple of years. But then you've got Adley Rushman, who's, you know, burst onto the scene. And he's been great. you got Gunnar Henderson coming up. But when you sit there, you look at the pitching sphere, and then they add Kyle Gibson. You know, they hope that Grayson Rodriguez, who could come along, and he didn't. And you would think based on the additions that they made to the pitching staff, specifically the starting staff, and now John Means is not returning when they thought. I thought that was a big gamble to not put more money into the pitching side. And here we are uh, two months into the season, and as of yet, the pitching hasn't cracked. Started to crack a little bit in, um, 
in the series with the Guardians. Um, but we'll see moving forward. I think that, you know, the big, the big uh, gamble they made was simply not putting enough into the pitching side. And so far it hasn't cost them. What a wonderful month they had. Uh, overall, you know, stopping the Rays from pulling away, taking two out of three from the Rays and just playing fantastic ball. Um, it really was a good series, a good uh, month for them, a good good start to the season. Roger, hey uh, Steve, uh, question: uh, What has happened to Trey Turner and his awful performance for the Eagles? No better way to describe it. Total disaster, in my opinion. Well, I think we can just go back. You know, for a Philadelphia person, you can go back to the Bryce Harper experience, the first sixty games that he was there and he admitted to pushing as hard as he could uh, to justify the money they had spent and to fit in. Um, as a matter of fact, I think it was JT Rio Muto who pulled him, pulled him aside and, and just had a nice long talk with him and a few other guys. And I think after about the two month, three month mark of Bryce Harper's beginning in Philadelphia, he finally relaxed and settled in and just let the talent surface I think the second half of that first year, he was very good. I think I had predicted a, uh, you know, in my pre 2020 that he was going to win the MVP, and uh, uh, of course that season was truncated. Um, and then of course he's he's been a he's been a star uh, with the uh, Philly since. So anytime a guy moves from one organization to another with a big contract it doesn't always take off right away. And you can hope that the issue is just putting too much pressure on yourself and maybe, you know, a little sawdust on the, uh, on the lower part of that bat as you're gripping it. Um, maybe just, you know, mentally you're, you're not giving yourself your normal routine. So I'm going to hold off judgment on Trey Turner for a little while longer and see if he can just get comfortable. You know, it really doesn't help the Trey Turner experience is that the Phillies have been fighting as a team uh, to to ignite, um, but everybody in the National League has been failed to ignite. There's really nobody that's you know put their foot on the gas and really said, "Wow, that's the team we thought." I mean, I guess the closest we can get would be the Atlanta Braves and maybe the Dodgers. But I just mentioned the Dodgers they gamble and nobody knew what they were going to be with the young kids instead of the you know instead of the high priced stars. So uh, that's a good thing in Philadelphia. There's still time to ignite. Nobody's pulled away and. Uh, that that should ease things up a little bit for Trey Turner. Steve, uh, opposite in contrast, how do you explain the Rays and what they do and the San Diego Padres every year they keep spending all this money, they're going to do this, they're going to do that, they're going to challenge the Dodgers, and they aren't even close. And what they do not. <laughs> Well, let's just remember that last year the Dodgers beat them 13 out of 18 games, and then they got to the postseason, and the Dodgers went home, and the Padres moved on. They choked, um, yeah. Well, that's you know they this year it's five and one the Dodgers. I listened to all those games, and this year it's five and one the Dodgers. Uh, the Padres actually won the first one, and uh, but I I think it's a I, I think it's a very good. Um, look at, you know, maybe the Mets and maybe the Padres. And sometimes when you put a bunch of stars together, it takes longer to come up with a cohesive, this is who we are and this is how we play and this is how we win. You know, you take you, you take a star like, uh, you know, Xander Bogarts and you, you add him into the mix and then you've got Fernando Tatis Jr. coming back. You've got Manny Machado 
coming back. So you're mixing in Machado and you're mixing in uh, uh, with Machado and Jay Cronenworth and Trent Grisham and Juan Soto from a little bit last year. You're adding in a um, you're adding in a Xander Bogarts. You're adding in a Matt Carpenter playing that role. You're adding in a Nelson Cruz in a different role. Um, you, you know, you're trying to find what what does that team do to win? You know, and they just haven't found it yet. And we have to give it time. On the other side of the coin, Joe Musgrove got hurt in spring training, and then he goes to Mexico and burns the tops of his feet real bad. That delays him. You Darvish hasn't been the same. Blake Snell is having his typical first two months of 100 pitches in four innings or three and two-thirds innings, um, and they have yet to be able to find any traction on the starting side. I think the biggest uh, – uh, the biggest, brightest spot so far is a free agent late, and that was Michael Waka. Without him, that, that rotation might be in a little bit of trouble. But like the Phillies, uh, like the Mets, like the Padres, we have to give it some time and figure out what the team is and how are they going to win and how are these stars going to settle in and, and, and blend what they can do, who's going to speak up in the locker room, who's not going to speak up in the locker room, and what's the message going to be. So it's a lot of fun early in the year, but we'll see in another month or two. You know, I'll be talking to you guys about what happened to the Padres. They're twenty, you know, they're eighteen games under five hundred with that payroll, or or whatever we want to story is going to be. Roger, yeah, they just got a home run against the uh, Marlins. But uh, getting staying with Trey Turner, Steve, the uh, yeah. I don't understand how a player. Uh, you know, how well he played in the uh, football, you know, the World uh, Classic, and then comes into the season and is playing as poorly as he is. I mean, it's not that he didn't have a a, a spring training, okay, got there late. I mean, he had the uh, World Classic and and Mm -hmm. did great. I don't get it. I'm sorry. I just don't get what about it. I think you may want to, you may have answered a little something right there. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm mentioning to you how difficult it is for a guy with a new contract to step into a new locker room and get to know his teammates and get to know what he can say, what he can't say, and what he has to do to fit into the team and take the pressure off and kind of just roll with the flow. And here, here he comes, and he comes to spring training, and then he leaves and goes to the World Baseball Classic. And then right before the season, he comes back from the World Baseball Classic. You have to wonder possibly how valuable that time, getting to know the coaching staff, getting to know the players on the team, and all that, how that all may have fit together. Uh, We won't know for a little while longer, but it is a mystery how some guys sign the big contract, arrive at their new place, and struggle mightily the first couple months. Not all of them, but some do. Roger has a great question, uh, Roy Cummings, in the first half hour. You're the best statistical man I know. Maybe you have an answer for uh, Roger's question was, why don't more Japanese players come over and play in the United States? Uh, last night we saw the Mets game, and uh, we saw a very, you know, we saw what I call a, a four-baller, calling it a ghost pitch. I, I, they're all the same to me. Yeah, but uh, uh, some of your thoughts about not only the pitchers, but uh, – the everyday players making that transition? Well, most of them try after their eight years or so. Remember, the contracts are different. I mean, if you could leave in your prime, you know, more guys would come over. 
you know, if you can, you know, let's say you're 24 years old um, and you could be posted and make a ton of money and come over, that'd be great, but you can't. You know, you have to start early and be a rare species that starts early and gets to the point where you could be posted after a certain number of years of your career. And a lot of guys go through, you know, they go through a process where, you know, the team decides and the player both decide whether it's worth it to make the jump. You know, some guys are told that your value will be more in Japan at this point than it would be in jumping to the States. Um, the guys that do make the jump um, are, are highly coveted guys. You know, it's kind of like the similar similar to like your uh, first round of your NFL draft, your top. You know, the guys that come over, they the interest in them peaks you know, three, four years before they actually come over. Everybody was waiting for Otani to come over, you know. Um, So, you know, and then you you take a look at the guy Boston signed and the guy the Cubs signed, Seisuke, and uh, I'm drawing a blank on the Boston guy. uh, And and the Mets pitcher. And the Mets pitcher and stuff like that. These guys have been scouted and, and, and Major League Baseball was waiting for their posting. It really wasn't a question because three years, four years before um, they posted, everybody was waiting on them. Um, There's more players available. It's just not worth it for MLB to pay the posting fee or for the player to come over um, when there's not the the pot of gold uh, relative to what they could make in Japan. Right. But there is great talent over there. Roger? Can they make that much in Japan? Steve? Yeah, yeah, they, they, they make good money sure. over in Japan. You know, they don't make they don't make the kind of money you make in the United States, but look, um you could be a good reliever in Japan and come over here and maybe make one point two to four one point five million at the start, you know, and hope you can um uh hope you can increase on that. But there's there's not a lot of uh there's not like a great divide between like what a what a team has in their system and what can come over from Japan, but they do identify the ones that are eligible to come over. Unfortunately, a lot of them are a little bit older, and it just you know it it doesn't work. But the guys that are younger, and and Major League Baseball identifies them. It's not like there's a, a huge talent pool sitting over there that you know is is not being offered come Trump, over. I mean, scouts there, are good. He? What's that? What was that, Don? Well, maybe the, the, the thing that uh, are they do they are they obligated to to play in Japan, uh, Steve? And that's why it's later when they uh, they do come and the interest is later. Yeah, yeah. You can't go from Japan to the major leagues like as a high school kid. You know, you you basically have to do your 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 time in Japan. I mean, it's. Uh, it's quite a long commitment before you can come over. And I'm not sure the exact uh, year, seven, eight, whatever it is. And that seven or eight is similar to the major league service time to become a free agent where when you're playing in the Japanese minor league system, so to speak, that doesn't count. That's not part of your service time. You have to get up to the, so first you have to get to the Japanese league then you have to do your, you know, basically fulfill your contract and obligations there, and then the team can make you uh, eligible. Uh, the kid from the World Baseball Classic, and forgive me if I can't recall his name right now, um, uh, the pitcher for Japan, uh, he's got, I think, two more years, and then he'll be posted, 
and he'll only be about 26 or 27, I believe. Um, and that's the next jewel coming over from Japan. That's the next big guy. Okay. That's well, interesting. Steve, we, we jumped around a little bit, but uh, thank you very, very much. Always a pleasure. I want to talk about Steve Bochy and get some of your thoughts on what he's been able to do with the Rangers, and we'll do that next time. Thank you very, very much. Just a, always a pleasure to have a chance to talk with you. Gentlemen, thanks for having me. Thank you so much. We're going to switch to women's golf right now. We haven't talked much about the LPGA. I know where things are going on out there. Jack Nicklaus this weekend as well. But, Frank, you've got a very good guest coming up next from uh, the LPGA. And how about Roberta? Give us a little information. Yeah, Roberta, why don't you give us a uh, thumbnail sketch about uh, how you've come to this point. Hi, everybody. Thanks for Hello there. Always um, a, uh, nice to talk to somebody new, Roberta. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I I got my LPGA card last year through qualifying school. Um, so I've been playing on the LPGA this year after playing on the Epson Tour for three and a half years before then. So that, that, that has been my path for the most part after I graduated from college from Arizona State. Mm-hmm. Roberta, okay. I saw a very interesting article a few days ago. A young lady that's going to join your tour coming out of Stanford tied uh, Tiger Woods's record, I think, 30, uh, 30 wins in her college career. Uh, I can't remember, to be honest with you, I can't remember the young lady's name, but you probably know better than I. But you've got a lot of competition coming in from up under, including yourself. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there are a lot of young, talented women coming up and you know they're graduating from college and getting started on their professional career and uh, I mean it's just great women's golf is is growing and this is only like a good signal for the future and you know for what it's going to be of women's golf in general. Roger? Well yeah Roberta where exactly are you from? I detect a little bit of an accent. I'm from Italy from Siena in Tuscany. Oh, in Tuscany, okay. Yep. And you went yep. to Oregon State, I believe you said, right? I went to Arizona State. Uh, Oregon State. Um, the, when did you first get interested in golf? I know you said you got your LPGA uh, card. And um, are you in a tournament like every week, every couple of weeks, uh, where people yeah. can see you around the country? Yeah. Um, the season usually goes about from, like, February or March up until October or November, so about like nine months out of the year. And there are about 25 to 30 tournaments in the schedule. So it's not every week, but it's, you know, a few weeks in a row, four or five weeks in a row, and then we get a week off and then a few more weeks in a row. So this is um, mostly how the schedule goes. Roberta, one of the biggest things is transition is the travel and the competition week in and week out. How have you found that? Uh, because it is a, it's a difficult grind, whether you're on the men's tour or the women's tour or whatever. Uh, you pack up, you go to the next tournament, you pack up, you go to the next tournament. It's, it's uh, physically demanding. Yeah, for sure. For sure, it's a lot. And it's surely like a process that you get used to as, you know, you, you, you just spend more time on tour. You know, the first year is always an adjustment to go from amateur golf to professional golf. And then 
as the years go by, you just get a hold of how to organize yourself and make it as easy as possible on your body. What's the best way to travel around the country without stressing out your body too much? And, you know, so it's obviously an adjustment all the time and trying to figure out to truly, like, make the most out of, you know, your body and your prime time and at the same time be able to have an easy travel schedule. Frank, you got a question? Yeah, yeah, Roberta, uh, I I understand that uh, someone is taking uh, full credit for uh, your last uh, uh, outing. Uh, your caddy, I understand, uh, was so knowledgeable. And uh, uh, you, you, would you like to talk about that? Uh, did she really help you out, or did you have to do it all by yourself? Now, I mean, remember, I'm gonna you get, know, she's going to get two full yeah. barrels tomorrow when I talk to her. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was <laughs> it was a, it was a great week. We had a lot of fun. Um, it was for me. I just to me that was just. Um, a confirmation that at this time in my career, I think the best thing I could have on the bag is, you know, like a familiar face, somebody that I just mm-hmm. want to be around for five hours on the golf course. And, you know, sometimes right. it's, that's an adjustment too to just figure out who you have on the bag, who's going to carry for mm-hmm. you, right? And it was just right. great to have her on the bag and, you know, like just have a good time on the course because at the end of the day, like if you're having fun, you're both very likely to just perform at your best. Mm-hmm. That's from my yeah, well, experience. Makes, sure, it makes, it, it, makes so, yeah, it easier she does for you to play that way. For, that, for a good week. <laughs> yeah. Was yeah. that a member of the uh, Ka- uh, Carol uh, family that was the uh, oh, no, caddy no, no, by no. chance? Oh, no, no, no. Uh-uh. This is a lady who, okay. at this point, is even blushing through her glasses, I can tell right now. Um, <laughs> she's a very, very nice lady that works uh, in the same building. But, uh, oh, okay. Her, uh, the, okay. The, the, there's a lot of cost involved in, in traveling and everything else. Do you have a sponsor? Yeah, I have, I have a few sponsors that I've picked up along the way. Um, I have three Italian sponsors which for me is really good. You know, I, I I like to be able to, you know, play golf and represent some Italian brands and some Italian companies as I'm playing golf. And then have another sponsor that I met in a pro-am in Albany, New York. So I have some mm-hmm. financial help for sure, but, you know, it's very important to just be able to have somebody, have just sponsors that help you finance your your career and your season to just be able to invest your money in the right things to get better and improve every day. Robert, also tell us a little bit uh, about the caddy relationship in terms of reading the greens, because uh, uh, most of the caddies that you're going to work with are very familiar with the greens that you're going to be playing on that you're not that familiar with. How much help do you get there? You know, it's the the role of a caddy is obviously a very difficult role, because if you have somebody on the back that you know, sees you week in and week out and is with you the whole season, is definitely able to help you because he knows what your tendencies are and what your game is like. And even on the greens, you know, there are so many ways to read the greens depending on the speed and how you roll the pots. So it's like, it all depends really what kind of relationship you have with your caddy. If they, you, you have, and you have trust in them also. So I think if you have a caddy that, you know, travels with you every week and knows you very well, it can help you on the greens. But 
Otherwise, it's a little bit of a, a guessing game, I would say, if it's a new caddy every week. Roger? Roberta, there used to be uh, several, couple of uh, great uh, women's uh, tournaments in the Philadelphia area, one in Wilmington, one in uh, down at um, Absecon in uh, Seaview Country Club, and Don Frank and I are very familiar with it. I attended uh, the that the tournament down there at Seaview a number of times, interviewed a number of great golfers. Uh, are there? Uh, are you going to be in any tournaments in the Philadelphia area this uh, this season coming up in the next couple months? Yeah, so the tournament at Seaview is next week. No, great, great. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm into the tournament for sure. And, um, yeah, so that's going to happen next week, and I heard the course is is great. And um, so it will be a good challenge for everybody. Yeah, you're going to be playing the Bay course, I'll tell you. It's in great shape. I was down there not too long ago, and uh, they have two courses there, one with the hotel and one with the Bay course. And uh, I think you're going to really enjoy it. It's, It's in very, very good shape at the moment. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Frank? Well, Roberta, with, yeah, with it's a great all tournament. the travel that you have to do, uh, do you have to make your own travel arrangements, or does your sponsor do that for you? Yeah, I definitely make my own travel uh, arrangements every week. And, you know, like, the schedules are very similar from year by year. So right now, you know, I have, you know, house housing set up, and, you know, I mm-hmm. know exactly how to move around for the most part. So I do everything on my own, though. I just sit down every now and then and book a bunch of flights and rental cars. Yeah. Yeah, the That's administration. The right. Roger? Were you ever? Yeah, no, go ahead, to, Frank. Uh, yeah, were you able to get a hold of uh, of uh, any of the pros around the Sarasota like, that I gave you the numbers for, or are you still um, waiting to hear from them? I'm still working on that. I'm still working on that. I'm looking to have something set up by October or November. So I'm still okay. I'm still working on that. Yeah, for sure. I just moved there, so yeah. Yeah. Well, I did have a chance to talk with uh, the gentleman I told you about uh, from Founders, which is a beautiful, very, very uh, wide. I heard. Uh, I heard court. of that. Yep. And Jimmy, uh, Jimmy's going to help you out on that. That's awesome. great. That's great. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Don, will you be at Seaview next week to see your Roberta? I don't know. I may be down there. I, I haven't got a schedule for next week yet, so I'll uh, but I'll keep that in mind because uh, I, I love going down there. Seaview is one of the great places in New Jersey, and the two golf yeah. courses there are one of the best. So, uh, Roberta, maybe I'll be down here to see you play. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. Well, I'll tell you, when you're down there, Roberta, uh, you may run into a good friend of uh, ours. Uh, that's Tom Williams, been New Jersey Sportscaster of the Year so many times. Uh, he mm-hmm. lives in Ocean City. Matter of fact, I just heard from him today, and I will be talking to him, uh, and I'm sure he'll be over there because he does everything, and uh, get to meet you because uh, he's a terrific guy and a good friend of ours. That's and Tony, awesome. uh, Tony will definitely be there because he's definitely going to be there on Sunday covering the tournament. Uh, he's right. a traveling golfer. He does a TV show on uh, NBC Sports Philadelphia. And uh, I know he'll be there, so I'll give him a, a call after we do the show tonight and tell him to look you up. Uh, terrific, terrific guy. And uh, uh, 
He's now played on something like uh, 967 different golf courses around the world. He's going to write a book when he gets to 1,000. So I'll certainly give him your name and tell him to stop in and say hello. There you go. Please do. Don, he's already got got her name. I talked to Tony uh, when he was teeing off. Oh, you talked to Tony? Good. The other day. Yeah. Good. So if you let him know yeah. that she's coming, that she's going to be there, maybe he can do an interview on uh, on Golf TV for her. Right. By the way, did you guys know that Tony uh, recovered from some surgery recently? Yeah, I had dinner yeah. with him. I had dinner with him two weeks ago, and uh, yeah, he's doing real well, and his wife is even doing better. She had some yeah. problems as well uh, with cancer, but it's uh, she's got a clean slate right now. So he's very happy about that. He got through the operation for himself in good shape. Uh, so as I said, I had dinner with him two weeks ago. And, and Roberto, I'll definitely give him a call uh, tomorrow morning and just uh, reaffirm what Frank has said. Say, you know, stop by and see whether he can do a little something with you on either radio or television or uh, at the same time uh, get a chance to meet you. Awesome. Awesome. I'm looking forward to that. Frank? Great. Uh, Roberto, I want to thank you for be, taking, taking the time tonight to be with us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, we sure would like do. to have you come back on the air uh, later on in, uh, when you finish up the tour. And uh, maybe even uh, come on as a, a guest host some nights and uh, and bring bring some of the other uh, golfers on with you. That'd yeah, I would love to. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. And, yeah, anytime I'm here. And I can bring other golfers, too. Terrific. Great. Wonderful. Great. Thank Thanks you so much. Good luck next week, Roberta. Thank you so and much. Safe Thank you. Great segment, you. Roberta. Great to talk women's golf, and we'll continue to do that during the course of the golf season and beyond. However, we're going to switch to football now. Huh? We're in the summer football. That's the USFL, as you well know. Trevor Bosco always covers it for us. That young man has been very, very active in the USFL. So, Trevor, uh, give us an update for uh, – yeah. This particular week as we get going. Hold on a minute. His uh, line was busy. I have to get him back on. Oh, okay. Hey, Frank, we need to have updates by Mr. Henderson about, like, he didn't even tell us about Tony Leodora. I saw it on Facebook. We need updates from our leader. (laughs) Holy smokes, he leaves us out in the cold here. I got to listen. I have to take care of the guests that we have on the program. I can't just let (laughs) them go by and not go by and get them some dinner and do things for them because they're nice enough to come on with us for 15, 20 minutes out of their busy schedule. You're buying dinner? That'll be a first. So I I keep them in mind, and I say, when I have a chance and I'm close, and I was uh, drove over to Venice. Uh, My wife and I drove over to Venice and had uh, dinner with uh, his wife and some of the family were over there. Very, very lovely restaurant, and... uh, he was doing a little Frank Sinatra scenario <laughs> over there. It was wonderful. Oh, yeah. Well, you don't even tell us. He, you know, well, I, 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 I brought it I, up. I, I, I was shocked. I mean, that we that you didn't, uh, seriously, uh, that uh, nothing had been said. Because when I, I saw it on Facebook. To be honest with you, Roger, I did not know he had had problems until I got there. He told me okay. uh, uh, at, at the time he, I had, had no knowledge that he had been under the weather at all. Hey, Don, yeah. uh, Trevor's on. Okay, Trevor, let's get go. to it. USFL football season of the summer. Give us an update on what's going on. I know Philly's uh, on TV on Fox this weekend, so people get a chance to see uh, Philly. I think it's the 1 o'clock game on Friday, isn't it, Trevor? Or 
Saturday, isn't it, Trevor? Um, looking at the schedule here, um, coming up, we have at 12 Double header, I know on, that. On Saturday, the Philadelphia Stars will be playing at 3 p.m. on right. NBC. And they're going to be playing the Birmingham Stallions, and that's going to be a really interesting game because they have not played each other since the championship game of the first season. Um, so that's kind of a rivalry that's been brewing. And it's going to be a really big game on NBC this weekend. And then we have a doubleheader on Sunday, obviously. Both games will be on Fox. Um, the, the interesting thing about this upcoming weekend is that there's playoff implications for a lot of these teams. Um, if the Maulers, the Pittsburgh Maulers, and New Jersey Generals lose and the Philadelphia Stars win this weekend, then they clinch a spot in the Northern Division. Um, and then the South is still a pretty much a, a very close neck-and-neck race. Um, the Stallions are leading the league um, with their record at 5-2, at um, and they honestly probably have some of the more premier players in the league. They, I, I think personally the MVP of this league so far is quarterback Alex Magoo for the Birmingham Stallions. He looks like Johnny Manziel of the USFL. Um, not, you know, not the negative parts of Johnny Manziel, but his, his style of play. He's very agile very versatile as a quarterback. He dances around in the backfield and just extends plays, um, and he doesn't make mistakes. He's leading the league um, in passing touchdowns with 13, in se- and that's in seven games. Um, he's also the point leader in the league um, with 102 total points on the season scored by him, um, which is fairly impressive. That's a quarterback. He's also leading his team in rushing, um, and for a quarterback to lead a team in rushing, uh, that is just very impressive. You can tell he's taking up a lot of the workload. Um, and, and, Before know, I go to Roger, just get an update. Uh, Mets lead the Phillies 4-1. to one. They're playing in the bottom of the fifth inning at City Field in New York. Nola's still in there for the uh, for the Phillies, but they're down 4-1, to one, and they were down. They were up one nothing, and then the Mets have come on now to score four to make it 4-1. to one. Roger, you're up. Well, you know, uh, Trevor, I was thinking of you today. Uh, are you – a uh, elector of uh, USFL memorabilia from the, the past? Are you really I, into that way? I don't have any of the really cool like um, memorabilia or merchandise from back in the day, but I do actually own a couple of uh, some of like the new gear. I got a hoodie and a water bottle. I, I really do like and believe in supporting um, and, and stuff that you – you enjoy and you know any way I can help the league by you know talking about it on here or you know on Twitter you know stuff like that I try and be very you know, active with you know the information because you know when it comes down to it, it it'd be really nice to see a league like this actually be able to uh, sustain itself in this time slot and you know if you are a fan or if you do have a home team in this league and you're out there listening I definitely recommend you tune in and you know maybe grab yourself a hat or something because you know, this is something that's trying to uh, elevate people and players and coaches and try and get them to that next level, not only with just experience, but, you know, actual in-game um, experience is probably the most valuable thing you can get as a player and a coach. So I think it's important that we're getting leagues like this, uh, you know, more and more frequently, and, you know, you got to support them. But I definitely do have some merchandise. I have a Tampa Bay Bandits uh, beanie. Hopefully they, that team comes back next season. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, I definitely have a couple USFL uh, items Good. for sure. Well, I Frank, agree you got with a you. question? I think, it's good. 
I think it's going to be successful. And uh, I will put in the mail uh, to uh, uh, your grandfather. I just came across a, uh, a postcard picture of uh, the uh, Stars championship team uh, from uh, back, you know, in the day when Jim Moore was the coach and Carl Peterson uh, was there. And, and um, I'll send it to him so he can pass it along. But on a more modern uh, note, uh, I agree with you. I like to see the team win and or be, the league be successful, and I think they will be. Trevor, and it's right. You got a question? Yeah, it was announced uh, on Saturday that uh, Vinny Papadi, I mean, yeah, Papadi, uh, no, Papali, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. And uh, his, his, his Case, Casey, is it? Is that his coach? I mean, his uh, quarterback are spending much more time together and certainly did show it on uh, Saturday. Um, now, next week, we're going to have his dad on. And if you're available, we'd like to have you come on and uh, and talk with him about uh, about Vinny and, and his uh, progress. Oh, that'd be that'd be an honor to come and talk about talk about some USFL football and especially Vinny Papali. He's uh, the 13th um, ranked receiver in this league. He's the leading receiver on the show, Memphis Showboats um, as of right now. He's um, Excuse me. Let me just pull up his receiving stats. He has, I think, over 273 uh, receiving yards. Um, I think he has two touchdowns on the season. And he's on a team where they do run heavy. Um, and, and we've seen this in the past four weeks. Their team is on a four-game win streak. They started out 0-3. Mm-hmm. Um, they're getting in rhythm still. And I, haven't, I don't think we've seen them at, the, at their best yet. Um, so mm-hmm. we'll definitely look out for Vinny Papali this weekend. But he's been probably the most sure-handed receiver in this league. Him and Bailey Gaither are up there, in my opinion. Those are guys mm-hmm. that you can just count on. Um, but, yeah, Vinny Papali had another great game this past weekend. He had a nice touchdown. And yeah. him and Cole Kelly, that's their quarterback. Um, he, he's they're, they're on the same page, and you can tell. And it's, it's definitely showing and scoring more points when they need it because they've been – you know, not destroying teams on the scoreboard or anything. No blowout wins, but they've been winning the gritty games. So, you know, that's all you can really ask for. And they've been dominating time of possession, mainly because of their run game. But when you have a guy like Vinny Papali on the outside, he's he's going to make your job a lot easier as a offensive coordinator and play caller, and especially a quarterback. Trevor is Birmingham still the the leading leading contender to stay at the top. I personally believe so, but as of right now, they are. They're five and two on the season. They're undefeated at home. Um, they're probably the most popular team in the league. They uh, they just look completely sound from offense to defense to special teams. They have Skip Holtz as their coach. Uh, famous, uh, his dad was very famous, obviously Lou Holtz, uh, Notre Dame guy, uh, and you can see where he got his football mind from because he runs a very you know tight ball club and. Not only he's not like a Bill Belichick drill sergeant kind of guy. He's he's very down to earth with his players. He likes to ask him, "Hey, what what's working for you? What are you good at? What do you feel comfortable with?" And that kind of coaching is the reason why they've only lost three games in two years. So I mean, he's he's probably going to get a call up soon, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's to a big college, um, you know, program or you know potentially even a shot as an OC or a DC in the uh, uh, NFL because he's got the talent, he's got the mind, and 
he's a really good leader of men. So that's something that uh, I think will also be noticed after this year. But I do believe that they're still favored to win it all this year. Yes. Roger? You know, I'm glad that, I'm glad that he got a chance to get back into coaching because his last job in college was at uh, USF. And he had a, a fantastic quarterback and a good line uh, his first two years. But then the quarterback uh, got hurt. And two of the linemen end up uh, their wives getting uh, fooling around on their wives, and the wives went to the dean and said, "Hey, wait a minute, we're doing all the work. We're going to class for them. We're doing everything else." So that fell apart. And his whole team fell apart, and uh, he really didn't uh, go out of uh, out of Tampa with a uh, highly thought of uh, rating. So I'm glad to see that he's back in because uh, he he is a gentleman. Uh, we met him a couple times at. Uh, at the uh, Bucks game and, and at the uh, Outback Bowl, um, he was there. Uh, and I, th- I think he is, you know, in contrast to uh, somebody he uh, brought to one of the games, uh, almost floored everybody when when uh, uh, former uh, uh, Florida coach uh, and Ohio State, what the hell's his name, Murray. Urban Myers. Oh, no, uh, Meyer. Meyer. Yeah, he, he brought Myers to uh, to a game, and uh, Myers was about the most aloof, uh, nasty person you ever want to meet. But but uh, Skip was signing autographs with people, shaking hands, and really, you know, like Trevor said, he is he is his father's son. Roger. Well, I want to go over the uh, schedule, Trevor. As I see it, uh, there's uh, like four games on Saturday. Uh, because you've got Houston, or I'm sorry, or it's USA, Houston, Pittsburgh. That's at noon on USA Network, and then on Peacock, which uh, people have trouble getting, including me, uh, the uh, Stars and the Stallions. And I think the NFL made a disastrous move by putting a playoff game on Peacock that hardly anybody will get. And then uh, on Sunday. Uh, at 1 o'clock, you got Memphis and New Jersey at 1 on Fox. And then at, on four, at 4 o'clock on Sunday, you have Michigan and New Orleans. Am I correct about that, Trevor? Uh, yes. The, the interesting thing about the Peacock um, exclusive games that are going to be coming into the NFL and stuff, uh, during the USFL, it looks like, you can only see it on Peacock, but I, I assure you they will, it will be on NBC at 3 p.m. Peacock is just like a streaming service that they do through NBC, obviously, but, you know, just to make it seem a little more exclusive, but that game will be on NBC. I have noticed that, you know, it's if it says Peacock on the schedule, it's also going to be on NBC as well. So they are still getting on that major network. And I would like to just briefly talk about Week 7's ratings. Um, they've looked a little rough because of the point you just made is that they're, they're, they're on USA or, um, you know, they're going to be on um, Peacock exclusively or FS1. Those are really small networks and they don't average a lot of viewers. So I'm glad to see them on three major networks. Uh, well, at least three of the games are on a major network this year, uh, this weekend, but USA is terrible. Uh, it is one of the worst networks that they could have chosen. Um, maybe they got some kind of deal with them, but, it's not the production. It's owned by about it. NBC. It's owned by NBC, right? I believe so. It's like one, it's like an FS1 yeah. to uh, NBC in a sense. 
but it's really it's really bad. Um, not in, not in terms of production or anything. It just averages maybe two hundred fifty thousand viewers a weekend, which is not what you want at all. Well, the Peacock well, I gotta say just the opposite NFL for Fox. Playoffs, I think Fox has done a pretty good Peacock. job of uh, and that's of the real problem. Don, uh, let me just say this, uh, just to follow up with Trevor. That that NFL playoff game is only Peacock. And that's what is really causing an uproar. And, uh, and you know, I understand it can be Peacock and NBC, but they're not showing that it's NBC. And that's going to turn people off because they won't even attempt to look at the game, unless, you know, on NBC if they don't see it's, it's, uh, it's only on Peacock. That's, that's poor marketing. That's all I can say. Roger, they're poor trying man. to force betting. Don't you understand it? They're trying I to force you to the channel. First of all, you got to buy the channel. Secondly, the the betting is so heavy now on football that they think the betting will create an audience. And uh, you know, I, I I wouldn't buy it. I don't care if they give it to me for free. I'm not watching it. So it uh, no, doesn't I'm make a difference either. to me. The more s- secondary channels they go to for baseball, football, same thing with Thursday night in the NFL. Going to rotate now. Going to uh, be able to shuffle games. Guy that wants to go to a game at, uh, say, a guy have Eagle tickets to go at 1 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, and uh, they're going to shuffle the Thursday night game, so it's going to be on at 8 o'clock at night instead of 1 o'clock at the end. I'm not watching it. Period. That's ending report. No, That's it. You. Trevor, it's up yeah. to you. I, um, I just wanted to quickly say I, I do agree with you that NBC has done a really good job in its own. They've, they averaged the most viewers in week four with over 2 million, um, but you know, USA, I know it's a part of the NBC. It's just not pulling people at all. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, that's sadly where professional sports are going to these. They're just selling out time slots to these streaming platforms. Uh, I know Peacock will not be the only platform this year getting an NFL game. I know YouTube will also be getting a time slot, I believe. Uh, so there's well, going to be even more Trevor, don't you think by next out. year they're going to solidify maybe one uh, the uh, the USFL, I would like to see. You get every game, don't you think? Going to do that? It, it, yeah, I I personally am not a fan of it. But if the USFL is doing this merely, you know, for the fact that they're getting you know, contract money from these other channel networks and stuff, I can see why a smaller league would need to spread out like that. But the NFL or like MLB, it, it's it's just getting to the point where like they just want more money and they're going to get it somehow. I feel so. It's it sucks for the average viewer, but um, you know it's what it's kind of turning into, and no one's really kind of making a stance on that. So uh, at least no one that has you know the power to actually you know keep things in a relatively simple manner to where you get major networks that are covering these games because the major networks typically have the better production value, and they typically you know just look and sound and are better in general rather than watching the. NFL game on USA. You know, it's just a whole different energy and vibe, and you're not going to pull as many viewers. But, you know, the NFL doesn't really worry about viewers anymore, so I, I don't really think they care. I mean, they're so popular to the point where, you know, it, <laughs> if you don't like it, you know, there's going to be five other fans that are just going to, you know, buy that subscription fee for Peacock to watch the game. It's, it's the sad reality of, uh, I guess, kind of, you know, marketing, but also just how aggressive these leagues have to become when they become Goliaths. They just have to keep getting more and more and more. So I, I really it's hope all it about the these new leagues. 
That's what it is. Yeah, all about the dollars. Trevor, thank you very, very much for another good segment have on the show. Have a great week, Trevor. We'll talk thank to you. you next week again about the USFL, and we'll also have a chance to talk to Vince Papelli, and he'll give us a little information, as you will, on his son and how he's doing down there. So thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Take care. Take Mike care. Simsack you too. Mike Simsack is with us right now, and Mike, you got a new uh, hockey coach down there in the nation's capital. I don't think we have a new hockey coach. I do think we have a new GM. Oh, it was GM? I thought it was a hockey coach. Yeah, I don't think we have a coach yet. I think we have a GM. We have a GM of the uh, basketball. We have a president of basketball operations, too. But a lot going on. You know, and that got lost in the wash. Uh, gentlemen, I need to start with this. Uh, so, two big things with the Washington football team that happened over the last week. A, the league sent uh, Josh Harris's bid back because they did not like the finances and the number of minority owners. Okay. So, you had mentioned that last week, Mike. Uh, you, you really, really expounded on the fact you thought it was going to be difficult because of that particular point. You were uh, certainly right on target. Yeah, so I had heard um, it was 17 minority owners. Uh, the last, the one that came out from the league put it north of 20. And they were just not comfortable with how this was set up. I still think that the original structure of the deal is going to be very similar with um, the Harris Group owning about 30 to 35%, Mitch Rails owning about uh, 15%, Max Johnson in between 3 and 5%, and then filling out the rest with um, minority owners, all of whom are going to own about 1% or 2%. The NFL really did not like how this deal was structured. The problem is uh, NFL by, you know, Josh Harris did exactly what the NFL bylaw said. You have to own at least 30% of a team to be considered the primary owner and operator. He said, I can get 30% and then I'll use somebody else's money for the other 70. And he went out and he got a bunch of minority owners to all put in the money so that he could get the bid together. The problem is, as long as my math is still mathing, 30 ain't 50. And somehow he has the ability under the NFL's bylaws to only own 30% of the team, but the other 70% does not have a controlling interest. Doesn't necessarily work in my math, but maybe y'all have a different take on that and can figure out how that math maths. Well, Mike, a couple of things um, about uh, uh, from what Howard Eskin reported, I think it was Saturday, a lot of that 30% is credit that Josh Harris got. 
Okay, I don't know yes. if you know anything about that. That's number there's one. Apparently, because... uh, Roger, yes, there's apparently about a billion dollars in unsecured debt or unsecured credit that would be part of that bid. That's what's right. really making the NFL nervous. Right, and then on top of that, there's a report that uh, they, the commanders or the Washington football team, somebody has a copyright on the commanders, and it's not the Washington football team. And is it, okay. did you hear the story? They're going to have to pay somebody, or they're going to have to get the name, or they're going to have to change the name? Roger and Mike, I think that came up, uh, Mike, didn't it, before they actually made the announcement? Like it was announced a week ahead of time. Not announced, but it was leaked a week ahead of time. And at that time, they said that was not a legitimate uh, name that they could use because somebody else had a patent for it. Is that correct? All right. Y'all are getting into a different issue other than the sale, which is something I was going to get on to next. Yes. Yeah. Um, Roger, you're 100% correct. Uh, the number of minority owners and the $1 billion in unsecured debt that Josh Harris had is what's making the NFL a little bit nervous, which is why they initially pushed back and sent that back and told him he needs to come up with slightly different finance. Now we get into the... Uh, trademark, the copyright on the name, which was initially rejected by the U.S. Patent Office. There is a guy in Virginia who bought up when the commander said that, when when the Redskins said that they were going to change their name, bought up every conceivable domain that he could think of for possible names that they could change it to. And therefore, does right now own a copyright on Washington Commanders. There's also a high school military football game, high school or small military college football game that involves Commanders Bowl that was put up as a challenge to the commander's trademark. To be honest, in the course of everything that's going on, because also understand that the commander's was a was a um, name used by a, and we just talked about the USFL, um, like a USFL or AFL, one of those leagues that went out of business right around COVID, the San Antonio Commanders was a name used at that point, so there's also that floating out. Um, Pantheon that they have to deal with, these are very, very small things. Right. Um, it, in the, it, it sounds bigger than it really is. It requires them to give a response a, to say that this, like, high school, junior, college football game is not going to impact name recognition. Like, nobody is going to mistake the Washington Commanders NFL football team 
for this game that apparently nobody knew existed until this week. Uh, they can talk to the guy in Virginia who said he held them. He seems like a guy you can give, like, season tickets to, and he'll be cool. They can they can take care of him. And the San Antonio thing is debunked. So it's a couple of questions that they need to answer, and they should be good. Uh, it's in Everything that I understand, it sounds a lot worse than it really is. You know, I was telling everybody, because there was a couple of days where it sounded like Christmas down here. The, right. the, 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 the Redskins going to be sold. Um, there's a possibility that they may end up back at RFK. That's still in existence. <laughs> and oh, we're nice. going to be able to get rid of the commander's name because they failed the trademark. Uh, oh. Two of those are accurate, right? They are being sold. Uh, there is still a chance that they may end up back at the RFK site. You are going to be stuck with the commanders for at least the next uh, four years because NFL rules dictate anytime you make a massive uh, trademark shift, you have to do it for five years. Okay. Complications. Complications no, here, it's, it's, it's one thing after another, and uh, the the other thing uh, is that uh, when you talk about trademarks, wasn't it Rick Pitino that trademarked three feet and nobody no, could Pat Riley. three Pat Riley, that's what it was. Pat Riley, and he was the one that uh, got the trademark on three feet, and everybody had to buy it from him when he was coaching. And, um, you know, uh, Anthony Davis apparently has a trademark on Unibrow. Well, you can get a trademark on a lot of things, and it just requires the next guy to negotiate with you for a couple of bucks. Sure. Or a million bucks, whatever. The case Roger, go back to what you said when we were talking about the USFL, the TV, Money, money, money. money. Everybody money. has to pay for something. <laughs> they can't wait to get a, a, an oar in the water so they get more money. Exactly. I mean, the, the, this Washington situation is unbelievable. When you look at how this franchise in every way, business, field, every way imaginable has deteriorated so fast, and 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 uh, so ba- so bad. Roger was one of the premier franchises in all of sports. Oh, oh John, it was unbelievable. I mean, uh, I can remember I was on act, uh, uh, doing my two weeks of training duty, uh, and and I was stationed in the barracks at the Fort Myer. Uh, Mike, you're very familiar with it, train barracks at Fort Myer, and uh, I was uh, the uh, I was laying in the bunk at night. And the bulletin came on. Uh, Allen was let go, was fired as pre- as coach of the uh, Redskins. I mean to tell you, I mean what a deal. And and we go back to uh, Ken Beatrice at WMAL and the shows he did. And the it was Frank Herzog, Sam Huff, Sonny Jurgensen. What a broadcast crew. 
And now it's down in the dumpers, the whole operation. It's sad. Roger, I was not going to tell this tonight because, but you brought up Washington and Fort Myers, which is, yeah. to use the parlance of our time, it's triggering me a little bit because, so, gentlemen, I'm going to tell you a story and you can believe me or you can believe me not. Uh, you both we believe you, Mike. You're our authority. <laughs> right. Um, you, you, you know that my wife works for the government. She's recently begun a job over at Walter Reed, where okay. one of her things is to work with facility dogs. They have dogs that are specially trained to deal with our service members in the mm-hmm. hospital over at Walter Reed. Now, the dogs have service rights. Mm-hmm. One of the dogs is getting promoted tomorrow. A master sergeant. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I top, I I myself popped out as an E six, but the dog is getting promoted to master sergeant. <laughs> I kid you not. Give me one. Give me get, one or two quick words on the <laughs> on no, the US twenty eleven soccer team me. because they're undefeated right now and uh, coming together. Uh, give us some, some thoughts on that. But the but Roger and Don she had to get an E three to drive her out to Fort Myers to pick up Master Sergeant Rank for the dog. I love it. I love it. It's it's great. You My brother was in the presidential army guard out there, so I've been there I've been there many times. Mike, I got a question for you. The former union coach, assistant coach, E.J. Callahan. Bill Cobb, E.J. Uh, Callahan. Yeah. Look, Frank, I'm sorry. I missed that. He's not, when you said coach, I thought he was the guy who actually coached the team. He was an assistant. Yeah. So, yeah, right. the U.S. men's national team is on their third manager in less than six months. Um, they did not retain Greg Bearhalter after the World Cup. Anthony Hudson took over. But they told Anthony Hudson that he was not likely to get the job full-time. So he said, I'm going to take the job full-time. And so now they got, hired the third assistant, B.J. Callahan, who used to be an assistant youth team coach with the Philadelphia Union, who is now the um, senior men's national coach for the U.S. men's national team. If you want to talk about failing up, please give me a better definition than this. Roger, Roger, we'll let you pick up the next one. Oh, I just I want to say that uh, I know exactly what you're talking about, about the rank, uh, Mike, because I was at Fort Meade doing training duty one time, and I was in E6, and it took me a while to make E6, and yet they were bringing in APGs, you know what that is, advanced patients, yeah. civilians that never spent a day in military training in their life, but they were uh, working at NSA, and that's what was causing the backlog on why guys in, in my category as cryptologic technicians couldn't get, get advanced. I mean, it's ridiculous, some of the things that go on, but you and I understand that. And uh, Don's right, it's the, uh, the old part. Uh, I've got to react to the fact that I'm outranked by a dog, 
Me too. There's a, I have two. Well, if you had to go on to Villanova, Mike, you might have been okay. You, 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 they, yeah, when no. you went to Villanova, they put the dog over you. <laughs> yeah, the dog outranked me. And somebody had to drive my wife to pick up rank for the dog's promotion ceremony. Oh, and the dog needs cake. <laughs> Sorry for you the dog, but I've got bronchitis. Up. Go ahead, Roger. No, no, I was just going to say I apologize. I try to cut that uh, muted thing, the cough, but I'm, when I start laughing, the uh, I've got bronchitis, so I'm taking meds. But, uh, no, I, I know what you mean, Mike, and, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to follow uh, where the stadium can, will uh, finally be uh, built. Uh, because oh. and and uh, yeah, I, it's just sad. I mean, the whole situation. I don't know what else to say. Listen, I'm still a believer in, in the old RFK Stadium site because it's right downtown. I mean, if they get uh, access in and out and parking, they could build a terrific stadium right there. I think. Well, you and I got in water usually that night, know. Don. There's no doubt about that. But you, you all gentlemen, you actually know it's still there. Like oh, the stadium is still, still there. The stadium is actually still there. Um, oh, we yes. had driven down by that area about three weeks ago. And it's the first time I'd been down in that area in a little bit. And I thought, okay, it's not going to be still be there. And as we're driving down 295, I look up, it's still there. Still have not been able to tear it down. No, it wasn't in very good shape. Roger Wu was there last, so I, I can imagine what it's like now. But I mean, they're going to have to tear it down, build a new stadium. But I mean, it's a site. I mean, the, the, the throughway goes right next to it. I mean, all you got to find is parking, and and they got plenty of neighborhoods that they can rearrange down there without hurting anybody, and uh, put a heck of a stadium right downtown. I think. Oh, it'll be a great location, but I, I, I promise you, like RFK is like a cockroach. Remember when um, they tried to demolish the spectrum? There may be right. Maybe you might you'll have an answer for us as to what they're going to do. Thanks, always. This, your segment always is right, interesting gentlemen. and informative. Mike, have a great week. You too. Talk to you later. Peace. Doug Hamilton standing by right now. He's in the batter's circle and uh, looking mm-hmm. forward to being on the program this evening. His Orioles did not have a good day today. PJ mm-hmm. professional. He talks about all the golf uh, information that you ever want to know but we're going to start off with those Orioles who had the tough day but they're still mm-hmm. in second place unless the Yankees win tonight what do you got Doug oh it's been you know they've lost two consecutive series and you know it's painful to lose at home against the Cleveland Indians team that had I don't know 20 cups 22 wins or whatever it was 24 wins um they just didn't they haven't looked good you know I think you know, their bullpen's been pretty taxed. Um, they haven't they haven't pitched particularly well. I mean, they got off to a fairly good start today. I mean, I was listening to them for a little bit, and uh, early on, I think they were up three one. And gosh, every time I looked at my phone, they were losing. I don't, um, yeah, I don't know what happened today. They they uh, they're taking a little road trip here to uh, San Francisco, um, you know, and then they're going to visit Milwaukee for a couple days. So I mean, they've got a lot of tough baseball games up. And, you know, Cedric Mullins get, getting hurt certainly didn't help. Um, no. 
you know, there's there's pieces to that team. Um, you know, I mean, there's a lot of good pieces to that team, but there's also, I mean, I'm I'm not a I'm not a Taryn Vavra fan. Um, Brian McKenna's kind of okay to me. I mean, they just signed Aaron Hicks, which I think is stopgap kind of just to put a body there, which doesn't impress me. Um, Michael Givens out of the bullpen looks awful. Um, I don't know why he's on the roster. He, gosh, he looks like he's gained 20 or 30 pounds since I last saw him, and he throws, you know, kind of little frisbees in there about 89, 90 let me, miles let me an hour. Let interrupt for a second. Um, I think the Hicks move is a bad move. I mean, he was starting to hit a little bit with the Yankees before they uh, finally decided to eat that $30 million. I mean, I don't know how you eat uh, $30 million, but right. Cashman can do it season after season. But I, I don't think he's sure. a bad pickup. Um, I think that the, the concept moving forward was that he's going to be more serviceable than Ryan McKenna is um, as their fourth outfielder uh, when Cedric Mullins comes back. But, you know, for me and, and Don, we've talked about this pipeline of prospects that the Orioles have, um, you know, I'd, I'd rather see them pick up a guy from their triple A team, Colton Kowser, Jordan Westberg, or somebody like that. Who's, you know, nearly ready to step into a major league role and, and see, you know, if they're ready to do that um, as, as opposed to taking, you know, you're, you're signing these people perform for you, but at the same time, they're taking away at bats from somebody you need to see develop. And right. I feel like that's the wrong direction for them to go. And, you know, they've, they've looked good at times. The month of April, you know, was certainly a good month for them. Um, you know, May was kind of okay for them. And, you know, the schedule is going to continue to show its teeth as they move forward. And, and I don't know that they have all the pieces they need, but again, I don't, you know, we've talked about this, in different segments, but I don't know what their expectations are from a front office standpoint. Are they attempting to make the playoffs or are they trying to have a better record than they had last year? Are they trying to, you know, because there's guys at the double a level that are ready to take the jump to triple a, which means what there's triple a guys that need to make the jump to major league. So, you know, if they're using this timeline to figure out who's going to be a part of their future, well, some of the guys I just named aren't part of that. You know, so I'm Roger. not sure what we're doing with this. Hey, hey, Doug, uh, how much did it cost the uh, Orioles to get Hicks? Do you know? Well, as Don mentioned, I mean, the, he had signed a sizable contract with the Yankees. I believe it was in the neighborhood of $70 million. <laughs> and I, think, I think they wound up eating the remaining portion of, which he noted was around $30 million. So I, I don't know if they signed him to, like, a, a major league minimum concept or, you know, whatever. I would say that's similar. exactly what they did. He had 30 million still coming right. from the Yankees. And uh, I, I, I believe I didn't see the, uh, the numbers, but normally when you get a uh, player that's passed through waivers and has been released mm-hmm. by a team, you sign him for the, 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 uh, the major league minimum. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. that's probably what they did. Yeah. With, with more than likely. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, what I'm looking at is I think the Yankees made a big mistake to sign him for that contract. Oh, because right. if you look, if you look at his history, two years. well, he, he was right. hitting 230. His, his average is 230 for his career. He's a 211 mm-hmm. this year, 216 last year, 194 in 21, 25, 225, but that was that shortened season. But he's hurt all the time. That's the problem. He didn't didn't play very many games last year. And he also switched him from center to left field, which was not good. He didn't make the accommodation as well as they had hoped. And uh, so he really didn't become the sixth outfielder. They wanted to do exactly what uh, 
Doug is saying with the Orioles, uh, the Yankees mm-hmm. wanted to bring up younger players and, and give them the opportunity to play and cut Hicks, even though it was a $30 million cut. But it's basically right. exactly what you're saying, Doug. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the Yankees have proven over the course of time to frivolously spend money. And, you know, when I, when I watched opening day in the series that the Orioles played with the Yankees and then subsequently when they went to New York, um, you know, I mean, the, the Yankees have Aaron Judge. You know, I mean, he's obviously an MVP contender. But if you look at the across the rest of their lineup, there's really nothing that impresses me about their offense other than him and, and maybe the, the ability of Stanton to, to swat, you know, 20 or 30 yeah, Rizzo, Rizzo, and, Rizzo's, a, Rizzo's a big-time player. Rizzo, Rizzo's a good player, you're right. Um, but, I mean, from top to bottom, I mean, you know, for, for all the money they've spent on their payroll, that offense doesn't impress me. I mean, they have probably the second or third best bullpen in, in Major League Baseball, and then you throw in, you know, Cortez, and you throw in Garrett Cole, and, and you've got a pretty good pitching staff. I mean, but you take away Aaron Judge for an extended period of time, and that Yankees lineup is going to struggle um, immensely. So, you know, when I look at the Orioles and I say, okay, well, you know, offensively I like, you know, kind of what they're doing from top to bottom and guys that can shift around and play different positions. And, you know, their bullpen is a good one, but it's, you know, um, it's ranked maybe a tier or two lower than, than what that – you know, Yankees bullpen is it's the starting pitching, you know, and I've hammered this concept home um, in every segment. We've talked about the Orioles that it's just not sustainable for them to keep running the same guys out there and expecting them to perform, you know, Kyle Gibson, seven and three, where, where did that come from? Right. But he's, you know, I mean, what, what's he's, you know, there's nothing impressive to me about, about his starts, you know, and, and Dean Kramer and Wells and all these guys. I mean, they can, mix and match and, and throw a couple of good starts. And then all of a sudden they, they get bombed and don't make it out of the first or second inning. So, um, you know, as you mentioned, Don, that, that guy that you can hand the baseball to every fourth or fifth day, and they're going to stop a losing streak isn't on their team. So, I mean, I'm not sure what that looks like in another 110 games, you know, Roger. Well, they still got a, uh, what a 14 point, uh, they're only four games mm. behind Tampa Bay, and if you we mm-hmm. talked about it earlier, um, uh, you know, uh, Doug, when you look at the Central, there's uh, Minnesota 28-27, mm-hmm. only one right. over 500. Uh, you look at the West, Texas 35 and 20, Houston 32-22, and then the Angels 30 and 27. And and then you go to the National League. The Phillies are looking awful. Uh, the mm-hmm. uh, Braves are the cream of the crop, thirty-three and twenty-three. Uh, Miami's only two over five hundred. Milwaukee's only two over five hundred. Uh, the Dodgers are uh, eleven over, and Arizona is uh, nine over. What does well, that say? Yeah. I think it tells me the Orioles are a pretty good team, and no matter well, what, they're 5-5 five and five in the last 10. They lost one, but that they're right. still a team to be uh, reckoned with, and they're good. Totally agree. And, and what I'll tell you is, uh, you know, the American League East um, is, is very good. I mean, if you take the last-place team in the American, American League East, which is which is the Red Sox, they would be first place in like two or three other divisions, you know, right. so the, exactly. the, that concept of, you know, the more balanced schedule so that you don't have to play against your rivals, your foes 19 times a year, whatever it is, 
that that's we talked about that as as a real big key and plus for the Orioles to not get beat up in their own division so that they can absolutely. go absolutely absolutely um, you know and I think that's going to play a key role I think in what happens come playoff time. Let's get to your bailiwick, uh, the Memorial. Mm-hmm. Big Jack, Jack Nichols, this tournament. Uh, some of yeah. your thoughts about the. Uh, I've never, to be honest with you, I've never seen that uh, golf course. I've never been out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you have. Give us an idea of uh, what you think about the Memorial. No, I've, I've never uh, been out there. There was uh, a point in time where uh, we had a member who who would bring a guest to our member guest, you know, each June when we had it, who was a member out there near field village. Um, but, you know, just from watching it on, on TV, I mean, over the years, it's um, one hell of a hard golf course to play. And, um, you know, I have some fond memories of, you know, Tiger Woods winning that event. And, and, uh, you know, obviously Jack Nicholas being, being the host is, is always a, a, a pretty big deal there as was, you know, Arnold Palmer when, when he was uh, the host at, at the Bay Hill Classic or whatever. Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, look, these guys play long golf courses in, you know, week in and week out. I mean, you know, to the average golfer, um, you know, watching this on TV, and, you know, we talked about this at the PGA Championship with, with Oak Hill and how, you know, not only the weather conditions, but just the overall length of that golf course and, and you know, some of those shots those guys have to hit um, are so impressive. Um, so it's every week. I mean, it's a true test of not just field and, and the ability levels of, but also, you know, the, the course and the conditions and all those sorts of things. I mean, that's, that's good stuff. Roger. Hey, Doug, uh, we had a, uh, I don't know if you heard the show earlier, uh, she was terrific. A, uh, an LPGA me- member who was going to be playing at the uh, Seaview next weekend. Or next week, I should mm-hmm. say. Uh, do you get out to see any uh, ladies' uh, tournaments at all? Uh, Seaview, that's what, Atlantic City? Um, yeah, Seaview's Atlantic City. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, always, that's a good venue. Um, you know, we played, uh, there was a course I played up there called Galloway, which is a national course. Um, right. Very, very, that's very right challenging. There. Very, yeah. Yeah, that's nice, it. nice place. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, Don, Don um, is a member there. Is he? Well, he must be making the big bucks to be a member there, huh? Well, we know that. Don, Frank, yeah. you know, I know that. I mean, uh, but go ahead. You know, I want to Doug, there's one thing you follow. should do is, is listen only with one ear <laughs> to hear some of these statements made by Frank yeah. and by Roger. Yeah. Because right. there's a lot of things they don't know anything and about. And Bill Bell. you got to include Bill <laughs> right. Wernthal. We if have... I were a member of Seaview... I'd be in Roger's class, but I am not going to see you. But I, I would like mm-hmm. to go next weekend to see the ladies down there. I agree with it. They play on the yeah. bank course. I love it. I'd love to get down to see it if I can. And uh, But I'll tell you, the uh, the women's tour is trying very, very hard mm-hmm. to be competitive and get more and more youngsters yeah. in. As I said to the young lady uh, when she was on with us in the second segment of the show, uh, Berta, who mm-hmm. came uh, – uh, for over from Italy, it is playing now, and I guess in second or third tournament. Uh, you know, it, it's great to see the uh, the depth of the women's tournament growing too. And yeah. had this young lady from Stanford. I, I just didn't know, remember her name. I read no, about Oregon her this week. State. Oregon. No, she's from Oregon State. But the girl that's coming on this week, who won the oh, thirty okay. tournaments to match Tiger. Tiger had the record at Stanford with thirty wins. This mm. this young lady matched his record at Stanford with thirty wins. 
and she's wow. going into the uh, LPGA this week. I think will be her first her first tournament. Yeah, I mean it's it's impressive on any level. You know, if you if you get the opportunity to watch whether it's you know the ladies or the men's or the seniors or or whatever, um, you know the the golf ball doesn't know who's hitting it. You know, so that's devoid of you know uh, sex or race or any of those sorts of things. And if you get the opportunity to watch any of those, I mean, we've had. You know, for me, uh, in the Maryland area, I mean, they used to go to Bully Rock and they would they would do the McDonald's, um, and that was also a concept of, of a pro am type of thing where they would they would get some local PGA professionals to fill out some of their early week kind of fields. Um, you know, they, they were at Cave Sally uh, for for some different things that they had done there. Uh, that was kind of that international cup or or whatever it was. I think at one point. Um, you know, like Seaview, Atlantic City. I mean, hell, that's not terribly far from where I am. But there's different places that you can go to to watch these things. I mean, I've been to my fair share of um, some of these different, you know, different events, whether it be seniors or whatever uh, locally. But I've never actually seen the women play. Um, you know, but I think it would be fun to watch them. I mean, they're equally as impressive in their own rights when it comes to you know, ball striking and, and abilities. I mean, I've watched uh, different things on TV with, with some of the, you know, playing lessons and stuff like that on, on the golf channel, which is superb, and what's kind of going through their mind and the shots they hit and what they're trying to do. Um, I mean, you can always, you know, take something away from, you know, that. And I always encourage people when they when they watch uh, tour events like that, you know, go to the go to the driving range, go to the putting green, watch them practice. I mean, the the on-course stuff is, is all well and good to, to stand on a hole and watch people come through and see the different players, and I get that. But if you truly want to learn something and, and kind of be a student of the game, go go to those areas and, and watch how methodical they are, watch how they practice, watch the routines, you know, watch their interactions with their caddies. Um, you know, all those things are, are really, really cool to see. Doug, Roger? let me say this about uh, golf. Uh, I've been subbed uh, at the uh, middle school uh, here uh, for just about every day this past year. And mm-hmm. what's really Get it in quickly. We only got a second, Roger. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I was just going to say they even had a golf team in middle school. Where my kids, they mm-hmm. didn't even have middle school sports in, uh, right. in Hamilton until years later. I think that sure. it just goes to show you about the South, and it's no wonder you get so many great uh, players in every sport when they offer uh, different sports. No doubt about it. It's, Doug, it's thank you very much. As always, up. the clock is always against us at the mm-hmm. end. Got a lot, a lot of stuff next week to talk about, so thank you very much once again. Mm-hmm. We'll do it all again well, this have week. Have a great week, Doug. We'll, we'll draw it back to our thank Commander-in-Chief, Frank Carroll, finish out the show. Okay, thank you very much. Thank, thank you, everybody, for coming on. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation for the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, the men and women of police and fire services, the doctors and nurses at the hospital, and the first responders. <clears throat> Carol, these programs are also dedicated to those who have lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcat, Patrolman <clears throat> David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Sergeant Thomas Batinger, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Henler, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Office, Patrolman Charlie Clondon, Tarpon Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant Charles Levake, 
Pittsburgh County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman and Officer Christman, Lakeland PD, Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police, Deputy Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Department, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Artis Hope, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol, Trooper Chelsea Richard, Florida Highway Patrol, Chief Al Hogle, Longboat Longboat Key Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Deputy Mike Hargrove, Pinellas County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Blaine Lane, Polk County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Chris Meyer, Polk County Sheriff's Department, and Sergeant Christopher Fitzgerald, Philadelphia Sheriff's Office and Temple University Police Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, at some time we'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the rose rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields, the sunshine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your family always in the palm of his hand. Tonight, God bless and have a great week.
Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. W Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.